0: Welcome to the Startups Roundtable podcast, where we discuss the science and art of startups with founders and the broader startup community. I'm Tony Hackett, and I've spent over a third of my B2B sales career either working for early-stage startups or as a go-to-market and social selling mentor for founders and their teams. In each episode, we will explore various topics, including decision-making, team-building, and growth strategies. Before we meet today's guest, I'd like to start with an Acknowledgement of Country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people attending today. Today, I'm joined by John Rallach, a hemp innovator, serial entrepreneur, investor, philanthropist, writer and champion of regenerative agriculture. John has a wealth of business creation experience and is the founder of Nativia, an organic superfoods brand with over a billion dollars in retail sales. Today, he is an investor, supporter, and advisor to various companies and organizations in the better-for-you-and-planet sector. John is also an executive producer of the Netflix blockbuster regenerative agriculture film Kiss the Ground, narrated by Woody Harrelson. Lots to discuss, so let's get started. John, thanks very much for joining me today. And the Startups Roundtable is a, an environment where we get to speak with founders and people from that community. And when I look at what it is that you're doing as a mature startup in some ways, but there's so much reinvention that seems to go on with what you're doing and how you approach life and your ventures. I wonder if I could just ask you to kick us off by a little bit of your background and what you're up to right now. Thank you, uh, Tony. Appreciate having me on. Yeah, My name is John
1: Rulak. I was born and raised in in southern california at a young age i was blessed that my mom and dad purchased a small island that they would with no running water no electricity and in washington state next to canada and that made a major impression on me and the environment so then as a young man they dumped nuclear waste near my house when i was age 21 that kind of set me off in a, a kind of my life's journey for the last many decades of how do we live on this planet in a more sustainable, what I I like to use the term regenerative way, conserving. I remember my, I think back in 1987, I started a company called Harmonious Technologies. Our tagline was conserving resources to improve quality of life. And that kind of, you could put a lot of the projects that I've been working on since then under that banner and trying to work with mainstream society to see that protecting nature is a good business. Unfortunately, that isn't kind of how the planet operates for better or worse. One of the things I did was I I made 500 hemp bars back in 1999 as a food company. Didn't have any idea really where it would go. I called it Nativa, the nut of sativa. It was a hemp seed company and uh, that worked out pretty well and ended up adding coconut oil and uh, we sold over a billion dollars worth of organic foods. 20 years, 10 years in a row, Inc. Magazine, fastest growing companies. And then I stepped down as CEO four years ago and I have a, like a, a foundation that I support projects. I, I put a, a third of my assets in that I, I give away. And we're doing food for us in East Africa and Guatemala. And then I also support entrepreneurs uh, in different projects and you know, write articles. And I also, also produce a movie called Kiss the Ground. So uh, I was very blessed to have a success in business. And I look to take some of those resources and knowledge and all the mistakes that I made, plenty of mistakes, to, uh, to what,
0: I, what I work on today. John, first of all, congratulations on the movie. I've watched it; it is a remarkable production. And in fact, as I was watching that and just listening to you introduce us today, I wondered how you prioritize. There's so many things that are important that you could put all of your time and energy into. How do you go about working out what to do on a certain day and and what you have to let go? Yeah, well, that's a good uh, good question. How do you
1: how do you stay focused, organized? I don't know. I I I used to. Somehow, when I wasn't, when I was a CEO, I was more focused. And you know, now I'm, you know, semi-retired. You know, it's like, well, you know, let's see. I only have one Zoom call today. What do I want to do? <laughs> but I, I really, I really follow what I'm passionate about, what I'm interested, in, and and then I create projects around that. You know, I wanted to change the food system, so I built a food company to introduce hemp, you know, to the world. I I tend to do a lot of reading, a little too much time on social media, but I tend to read a lot of information, share it on social and learn. I think that's the one thing that I've seen a lot of successful entrepreneurs and leaders, no matter what you're doing, is just a constant learning to, you know, as understand to learn. So I like to learn new, new subjects. Uh, um, Right now I've had to learn about agroforestry and food forests. So, and we have. We've set up 2,000 food forests working with, with groups in Guatemala and East Africa. That was one of my, one of my uh, startups this last year. It's a, it's a nonprofit project. So
0: yeah, learning is important. It's interesting you talk about uh, mid-80s, late 80s when you started. And obviously, technology has advanced enormously. I mean, look at us today. But if you were to consider the elements of technology that are helping you achieve what you're trying to achieve now, are there one or two that you'd say, are really supporting you more than others, and can you see one area maybe that that really could make a difference in that that short to medium term? You're talking about technologies to learn or to to well, actually more to scale. So I should have been more specific. Yeah, because you've got a, a massive scaling opportunity which you've wrestled to the ground, and it's going to continue to be there.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's one tool I don't use it now quite as much, but I always tell my I, I invest in on, you know within businesses and advise entrepreneurs. I'm a big fan of Slack, and I I I started up a a hemp CBD company about about three years ago, and I really don't think I could have organized it so well without it. I really, you know, it's basically just organized texting. It allows you to, if you set up the categories right, your team can be can communicate with each other. But basically, you got to say no emails. I don't know, you know, like like you can't have send any emails in between the in, in company. And then the CEO or, or whichever department you're running, you just can look and you can see what everyone else is doing. So it's it's very it's, that's very effective. So I'm a big fan of Slack. And then I think Monday.com is another tool that is low cost. It do, it can be it can serve as a CRM. It's a you know can put like a list your tasks that you're doing. Um, it's kind of like a Swiss Army knife for organizing things. We end of the day people do business with people and people like to do business with people that they like to hang out with or be around and it's and that's a challenge for entrepreneurs we want to get shit done and we sometimes are frustrated being around people who don't get shit done and not everybody is going to be at the same speed or intensity as the entrepreneur and so working on your own self your own leadership I think is really important I definitely would wasn't very good at running a company when I was when I was in my thirties or even early forties, and you know I, I would say I was maybe good at certain things and and then I had you know I had to overcome some of the other things, but I uh, maybe we should talk a little about some of the things that I was good at and that I think can help organizations. One is is focus on the why. I mean, how many people want to get up in the morning and look at a computer screen? For hour after hour after hour, and be in meetings and deal with like little numbers and things on the computer screen and do it for hours and hours, and then deal with people that they you know like they don't want to respect or or whatever like people don't really want to do that, but if you can focus as a company leader on the why and for us as a the the nativa, the, the food company that I founded, our focus was to revolutionize the way the world eats, so yeah, we did sell organic food, we put coconut oil in a jar. But a lot of people sold coconut oil in a jar. Why were we the number one? Well, one, I worked really hard to make sure we had the best tasting coconut oil. I made sure we had it in different sizes. I made sure we'd try to be in stock as much as we could. But we also gave back and planted 100,000 coconut seedlings to our small farmers there. And so by having a mission, a kind of a rallying cry to revolutionize the way the world eats, I would be giving talks and lectures. People would invite me to come and talk at places. Well, most food CEOs don't, that doesn't happen always. But because I wrote articles and, you know, and eventually, you know, made this movie, that was a difference. So, and people like that, you know, I mean, I think you talk, if you talk to some of my, my team, they may say, well, John, maybe he wasn't the best manager. Maybe he tried to do too many things. He, he would, I would zig when we maybe should have been not quite, maybe we should have zagged a little more before I went to the zig move, you know, kind of, you know, as a metaphor, you know, when you're the entrepreneur and there's one or five people, it's easy to do. When I had 120 people, it was a different thing. But, you know, they like that. And then the other thing is culture. I just had an intuitive sense. I remember I remember reading when I was at about fifteen people, and I was like freaked out. I said, "We're going to have a hundred people in our company, and I'm not going to know who they are. I won't even know, I wouldn't have even hired them. Other people would have hired them, and they may not even like or culture. they won't even like who what I'm we're doing. They won't even know it. And they're going to be in charge of representing the company. That just freaked me out. So I went and tried to find people who are really good at company culture and got some help with that. And we got people into a room and tried to describe what our values were. But part of it was like, I think it's really important. It's like no assholes allowed, you know, sorry for the French.
0: It it makes sense. I know.
1: And the other thing that worked really well was we really created a good environment for, especially for women and BIPOC women. I remember that's probably some of the things I feel the most proud about. And because we had that, they were felt safe and respected. They performed really well. And it's like, I, I, we hired a young woman. She worked at Taco Bell. I didn't hire somebody else in the team hire. And we gave, you know, we saw she was like pretty, you know, she was smart. So she started counting inventory. None of her family had ever gone to college. She ended up working six years for us and ended up leaving $100,000 a year, you know, huge success. And she was very smart and she was like 25 years old. And, and like, and most people, they would go, you mean, you're going to let someone who works at Taco Bell at 23 have management responsibilities? That would not happen in most companies. They would give it to the older white guy. And we hired another woman, another, another Latina woman. She was afraid to even use her name, Maria, because she thought in her last company that they would tease her about her name and her Lat- Latina name. She didn't get any of that, and she really grew, and she ended up in running our, you know, our quality quality assurance department. We had leadership training where where we would take our people, and like once once a week, they would come for an hour, and they would learn how do you give feedback, what's your management style, that kind of thing. So the culture is is very important, and so people really liked working there. You know, yeah, did we did we have to do some layoffs? You know, did we have some huge challenges? Where yeah. But I felt, I felt that the culture, somebody said, culture trumps strategy any time. And so that's, those are a couple of things that I, I think, think we did well and encourage you know, other entrepreneurs to focus as much as they can on that as well.
0: John, you hit on a couple of points that really matter to me. Diversity and inclusion is something that is spoken about a lot. And can be enacted more, and with it, you hit on what I think is one of the, the really central pieces around is about confidence. How can we help each other turn up with the confidence to participate with our full self? And I, I, I use a—it's a poor example, but an example I use in the in the technology industry is if everybody talks about cloud, and if you're away from the workplace for a year and you come back and you're sitting in a meeting room, people start talking about cloud. You could doubt whether you know what. It's really going on. And you'll have the same knowledge as the people who have been there for the last year while you've been out of the workforce. So how do we help people bring that confidence through? I think that's such an important element. And where you spoke about, about culture and about the why. There's also it's a book I read. Gosh, I'm going to say it's 15 years ago. Or so, and it's called the Intention Economy, and it is about uh, us being able to bring our intention forward rather than just being reliant on somebody else to grab our attention. So it's about having ownership and responsibility to actually uh, engage. But culture creates the environment for that, and that that's a really interesting point that you make about as organisations get larger. And, and how do they start to think through the, the nuances of, of team construction and having a real feel for the, I guess, the further flung network in their organization? And, and you do it across geographies. What sort of complexity does that bring for you? That's t- tough enough for 100 people, single building, single office, single precinct.
1: Back then, mostly everybody was under one roof, except for our salespeople. Nowadays, that's different, and it's, I think it's extremely hard. I mean, you know, one of the things I enjoyed was just getting out of my desk from, you know, meetings and dealing with lawyers and investors and, and, you know, what have you regulatory, regulatory, the things that you started to have to focus on where you didn't, when you were a smaller company and just walk around, you know, I mean, I would like go into the accounting room. I couldn't necessarily help them do a better job. You know, I wasn't a financial expert. I would just go and crack some jokes, you know, and, you know, you know, they're all hardworking there. And, you know, they, you know, like, like somebody comes in at least, you know, the leadership knows that they exist and, you know, acknowledges what you're doing. Hey, thank you for, it hey, looks like we're going to close this, this month on time. Thank you. I know that's really important. You know, I know our bankers are going to like that, you know, what have you. So walking around, you know, and just in the different departments and saying, hello, I think is important. You know, some people just, just stay right in the, you know, stay right in their office and, and people can kind of pick up on, it. I mean, you know, some people are more personable than others, you know, and it's not like, like it's not like I related to everybody, you know, the other, the other funny thing was I found out that I heard like people were intimidated by me. You know when, you're, when there's five people in the company, you're just yeah, you're, jo- you're the founder and you're working with them, that's. But then when there's like 50 or 100, because of society and whatever you're making more money, you're this position, so that was, that was interesting. It was like in whatever, whatever they could think your look how you were feeling, they would pick up like, "Oh, is John doing okay today?" Well, what what did John say? Like, you know, like it was like everything was like more of like a like a stage. I thought that was that was took me a while to like wow, that's you know that was that was interesting. Yeah,
0: decision making is something I've I've got a real fascination around, and the data and intuition continuum. How do you view that, and how has that changed? I, I can just
1: think of one of my good buddies who I appointed CEO when I stepped down, and you know he and I and we dealt with. With different people different views like when I decided to go with coconut oil which we weren't selling coconut oil and, and now it's like coconut is like in the company and again I'm not, I'm not really I, I'm no longer CEO I'm not really involved much I'm a small shareholder but coconut oil is 50% plus of our sales I didn't do a study to determine whether I should go into coconut oil what I noticed was people would call me up and we had hemp oil and I would sell I would tell them about hemp oil but I said well hemp oils you know it's really a drizzling oil you don't really cook with it like in a hot pan. And they said, "Well, what should I? You know, since you're kind of a health food guy, and what would you use?" And I, and then I told them about coconut oil. And I said, "But it's hard to get really good coconut oil. And there's some person, but they don't really have a website. And this is like, you know, two thousand like three. I'm telling the story. And they said, "Oh, that's interesting." And after I told that story about twenty times, people asked me, "What should I cook with?" And I tell them that I just said maybe I should do coconut oil. But the larger up, like you know, so it's 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 a balance between data and intuition. I mean you know, Steven jobs didn't introduce the iPhone based on a market study. Okay. The the one thing that I, that I would recommend is if you do have an idea is to go out and get feedback, even, and even for the entrepreneur or team, go out and like, you know, talk to your customers. Like one of the things that I would do is I would have a demo. I'd be demoing a product. And then I take the new product we we're going to introduce and I I'd, and I'd do it on the side. I, you know, I wasn't, if you ask the natural food store, they'd say, hopefully, you can't do that. We're not selling here. But I just have it under the table. I just say, once you try this, they'd say, oh, that tastes good. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that name? So I think it's important. And again, getting out in the field, whatever product it is, you know, to do that, I think. And then you can get a sense. As you get larger, you need to use data because a small mistake when you're a, a million dollar company is different, whereas you're a $50 million company, a small mistake can be you know very expensive. So it's a balance. And you really some, you have to be a risk taker, but it's important to, I think it's combination. It's intuition
0: and using data. I think about data as, I kind of like it a little bit, <laughs> but it can be a crutch. And it can be a crutch can, that can hum things down rather than accelerate. And it is being able to bring that, that blend, I think, as you pointed out, being able to understand there is data, but being able to bring that, that knowledge and experience to the fore. But building teams is something that you've, you touched on a moment ago. I just want to come back to that for a sec. And the idea of a, a startup, and I'm sure you can reflect back to earlier days for yourself, how would you approach building out teams and thinking about teams now if you were a 10-person organization today in this moment and just tapping into a couple of the learnings that you've picked up over the time? I
1: used to go to these conferences for like fast growing companies and there was a, there was a, a guy who was the CEO of a, I'm trying to remember it's what the name of it is. It's like, it's like, like contractors for hire. You can hire independent contractors around the world. They were based in San Jose. I can't, they, they went through a couple name changes, but he described that there's three phases that business entrepreneurs go through. The first phase is you're in the jungle with machete. So the people you hire, like you don't want to hire someone who is good at working at a, a billion dollar organization. So you need someone like, oh, there's a problem here. You know, like I hired a guy who is, I would call him my machete guy. He could jump on the, on the forklift. He could talk to the distributor. He could talk to a customer and he could do all of that. He was a machete guy. Then at a certain point, you have to leave that. And the next phase is you need to leave the jungle and you need to get on a four wheel drive and you're going to drive down like a dirt road. But the machete guy was, he was not that person for me. And so I had to let that person go. And then I hired someone, you know, that would be better on, you know, to driving a four wheel drive. And you're still going to be kind of, it's kind of a little ad living but, you know, if you don't pay it too much attention, you, know, you could go off the road, but, you know, you could go off the road a little. And then you get to a point, and then that can be, can, can be good. Then you get to a point maybe where, you know, different businesses could be different levels. It could be 50 million, it could be 100 million a year. And then you're now you're on the Audubon and imagine on the steering wheel at the Audubon at 120 miles an hour and you introduce, you, have, you go, oh, I could do this. I could introduce this product or I could, I could do something and a slight move, wipe out the company. And each of those three phases requires different people. And one of the hardest things for the entrepreneur when you're going through that is the people who helped you get to that next level. Who put in their blood, sweat, and tears, when you find, when you, if you get that they're not that person to take you to that next level because they don't have that skill set, it's hard to say, we're gonna have to part ways. And, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for you to do, to go somewhere else. And that's, you know, when people get upset and your team's, you know, why'd you let Frank go? And that's, that's where leadership isn't always so fun. It's a little lonely at the top, but that's part of that. And at the end of the day, if you keep that person and they're not good at that phase, they're going to impact others, and it's going to be so. It's so it's really best for the organization, and ultimately better for that person to find that next level. But we're not dealing with robots; we're dealing with people and humans and the struggle. And you know, we spend more time with people at work than people spend sometimes with their with their wives or partners.
0: John's a an unplanned, almost perfect segue into a question I like to close with, and it's around mentors and coaches. And if you were sitting with some new new founders with their startups just underway now and they're looking for advice on, on how to go about looking for mentors and coaches, what would be a, a couple of tips that you would share? That's a great question.
1: I think it helps I just think overall it helps to for people who've been around, they know what's coming around the bend. So having those around you know when you're 30 or 40 you think you know what you you think you know what you're talking about you know you look at Steve Jobs he's a pretty smart guy you know did a pretty amazing well he made some some mistakes and and you know learned so it's like you know everyone can learn so i think it's important to find mentors or coaches that you relate to you know that are that can be honest and direct with you i think a lot of times people candy coat things you know, I, I get a critique that I, I'm too direct with people. They say, John, we agree with what you're saying, but you, you know, maybe you could just say it in a nicer way. I tend to be rather direct, not necessarily hateful, but and I think that's that's part of also leadership is learning. Like my, I had a mentor once, and he told me, he says, John, what's the point of communication? I said, I don't know, what is it? He says, to achieve a desired outcome. So you know, he says, well, you know, you need to use the bolog- the baloney sandwich method. So you sit down with someone, who reports to you. You spend a couple minutes chit-chatting. How's your day going? Hey, I noticed this is what you've been doing. This is this is really good. I I got feedback from somebody on your team. They really like that. Thanks for doing that. That's the kind of things we need to show. Oh, and by the way, and then the the thing that you want them to do that they maybe they didn't do or didn't need to do better. Deliver that and and kind of just versus. Hey, you know, look you've really been messing up and you know, you should really be better. And, and here's what I need you to do. They're, they're going to take it a little differently. You know, again, I think working on your own leadership skills is really important. And if you can be around mentors and coaches to help you definitely, definitely important. And mental health is such an issue today, but you know, for me, health is really important. I have one tip that I recommend people do, and that's to do that plank, the yoga plank every day. Takes, you can start out with 15 or 20 seconds a day. It really helps your core. And if you're sitting, traveling a lot, it, it definitely helps your overall health and and be a better person. So that's one health
0: tip I have. John, really a well-balanced considerations around mentoring and coaching and, and building in that at mental health. That's a great point to make as well. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. And I know that we haven't even scratched the surface of of your life's journey and experiences, but really generous in sharing what you have with me on the podcast. And yeah, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you, Tony. Appreciate the the invite and you have a good rest of your day as, as
0: well. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feedback is always welcome. And I would appreciate introductions to potential future guests to invite onto the podcast. But that's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.